Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality. That's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, July 13th, 2023, the 904th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the writing, the podcast, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So before we get into some of what I'd like to discuss today, I want to update on the ongoing Sound of Freedom saga. How are we supposed to think of Sound of Freedom? And is there any reason to think that it's not an entirely positive development that this movie is out there. The movie is good. It's well-reviewed. Lots of people are going to see it. 
And lots of people are learning about the problem, the industry of child sex trafficking. Is there something nefarious going on here between Hollywood? Because it's in all these theaters. That's made some people suspicious, even though distribution is kind of its own separate thing and more based on money than the political value of the content. But there's some reason to explore that. The investors in the film, Tim Ballard and his organization, Jim Caviezel, we've seen criticism, critique, digging on all of these topics. And all that's good. That's the age we are in now. If people are going to be held up on a pedestal in any way, others are going to research into their history and fully vet them. And I think that that's just going to be part of our future. If you're going to be placed in a position of responsibility, in a position of public trust, people are going to look into your background. And I've talked about this at various times over the past couple of years, because what I often talk about, my theory about the party of false decorum fits right into this future outlook. Part of returning to a meritocracy is remembering and maybe re-embodying the notion that part of merit is one's commitment to acting morally. We are essentially in a state of very little trust right now. I'm not sure it's quite zero trust, but people don't trust one another. And by the way, that's okay. We are not actually supposed to trust strangers except to the point that if we leave them alone, they'll leave us alone. If we're nice to them, they'll be nice to us. This kind of reciprocal thing. That's a very different state of being than thinking, oh, this person must be nice and good because they're a vice president at this very cool marketing firm. Or this person must be nice and good because they're a philanthropist and they donate all this money to charities. We're moving away from superficial markers of quality, morality, success, etc. And looking for people who have authentic markers of all those things. They surround themselves with good people. They conduct business honestly. They have lasting relationships. Their word is their bond, and their word reflects their actions. We are moving back in that direction, which means people are going to dig into the backgrounds of others because they want to know whether or not this person is someone who can be trusted or how this person must be doubted. How do we need to keep an eye on this particular person? There will probably be an over-adjustment toward this, and maybe that's what we're seeing to some extent now, kind of its own sort of cancel culture, but on things from the past that someone has actually moved beyond and tried to change and make better with a history of doing so and a commitment to doing so. And that'll probably be an unfortunate outcome of this new learned behavior. We actually do have to find out who these people are. The vast, vast majority of society abandoned that responsibility completely, assumed that journalists were doing that and you could just trust the journalists. Well, no, it turns out you might want to look into the journalists too because they're connected to one another. They're connected to systems of power and nepotism operates in that field. Agendas, corruption and compromise operate in that field just like anywhere else. We deprioritized actually knowing who we were doing business with 
and who we were placing in positions of public trust. So we're going to return to that notion, probably overshoot that. Maybe we're seeing some of it now and then we'll draw back because the more deeply we investigate people and the more unreasonable we are with our judgments, depending on what we find opens us up to that same system. And so people are going to decide for themselves what it is they care about, what they're willing to forgive, and whether or not mistakes in someone's past can be forgiven for a person in a certain position of public trust. Maybe it matters more that you've spent decades in political corruption and are now facilitating an international sex trade than being a reputed playboy 40 years ago. Now, in the false reality, that doesn't work. The very best people in the whole wide world patted themselves on the back for going out and voting for Joe Biden, the man who has spent a corrupt five decades in politics, who is facilitating an international sex trade and has his own creepy sexual thing for a very long time, which was proven in interviews from the 70s just as it was in his daughter's diary. The guy who is all over countless videos sniffing and groping children. That's the guy who is held up as a good and decent man because he had racked up tons of points within the party of false decorum. In a state of total inversion within the false reality, Joe Biden really is one of the best men to ever live. And Donald Trump would have been within the party of false decorum, but Donald Trump has been exiled from the party of false decorum. You see, Donald Trump had all the points over there, and he's also got a whole lot of points in the actual meritocratic reality as well. And that's why he's such a much more powerful force than Joe Biden. So I don't see any point in the near future when people are going to cease looking into the backgrounds of these people. The problem is when we have these little markers that if we see them, we are absolutely certain immediately that that person is bad forever. And here's a great example of that. Whenever we see World Economic Forum or a World Economic Forum young global leader, any connection to the World Economic Forum, we immediately think, oh, that guy is bad forever. Now, the World Economic Forum is absolutely terrible. It's basically the Prussian Nazi regime's Chamber of Commerce or their Bureau of Economics, if we want to sound basically as communist as possible, which of course they are. But no matter how terrible it is, being associated with it in some way at some point is not in itself Conclusive proof that the person being discussed is actually terrible themselves. Donald Trump has spoken before the World Economic Forum. Vladimir Putin was a World Economic Forum young global leader, as were all sorts of leaders. Elon Musk has been at the forum. All sorts of people that most of us think might be playing an absolutely critical role in what is happening right now have been at some point associated with the World Economic Forum. So if you were researching these people in relation to the World Economic Forum, all of them would be hits. But you can see quickly how crazy it would be to write them off forever just due to that association. It's good, 
It's reason to be suspicious. We should always be skeptical. We should always do our homework. But that fact in itself is not proof beyond a shadow of a doubt. And it's not even close to that, to be honest. Being involved with the forum and dealing with the forum has been a fact of life for a while now. And how the forum describes their relationship with these people is not the doing of these people. So it really is hard to know. That is a negative fact about a person from their history. That's all it is. You put it in the negative column and then you look to see if there's anything else that supports that analysis and that conclusion. And that sort of thing gets really difficult when you're talking about a guy like Elon Musk, who has ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Tesla has been marketed as a solution to climate change, so he has ties to the climate agenda. He's been developing Neuralink, so he has ties to the transhuman agenda. And all of those ties are relevant when you're thinking about whether or not Elon Musk is a good guy and whether or not you should trust Elon Musk or want him in positions of public power. All of that is eminently sensible, but it still doesn't mean that Elon Musk is a bad guy because we just don't know. There are a bunch of bad things. There are a bunch of good things. No one should be trusting people like Elon Musk. He's the richest man in the world. He's extremely powerful. He's well-connected politically. He's also a total wild card. Pretty hilarious. And there are people out there who don't like the fact that he is not as serious as they would like about a whole range of subjects. And we'll get into Elon later. But the point is, you can research someone, find all these factors about them that make you doubt that person, and that person might still be good. And if you're just looking for reasons why someone is a bad guy, and you can take your frustrations out on that person's inaction, then you're going to have a real hard time with this, and you're going to make a lot of mistakes because you're not being careful enough in your judgments if one little signal means that's it, that's over. And again, I get it, especially when there are a bunch of things, like with Elon. But the point is, you can just observe all of this. You don't need to make a judgment on whether he's good or bad and then view every piece of news about him, every news story, through that lens. Part of being discerning is not holding any of our ideas as unshakable. Because for us to believe that we are 100% right about anything in the world, especially about the moral status of a stranger, is totally untenable. Pretty much all of us have been dead wrong about really important things over the last few years. And all of the people who have recognized that are likely awake and working toward happy and productive lives, while all the people who think that they have been right about everything the whole time are really losing their shit. These people are having existential crises. You might notice them angrier than they were before or engaging in more vices than they were before. Maybe they drink more. Maybe they're doing drugs. Maybe they're having tons of irresponsible sex. They kind of know it's all going downhill, but they think if they're riding the wave, then it's not going to go downhill for them. Their lives are so great, nothing's going to change that. There are some people out there who think they've been right the whole time, but they're not going to have a good time. 
So we know we're not going to be 100% right about what we're perceiving and observing in the real world, no matter how connected to reality we are. And so ultimately, knowing that anything that we are certain of is at some point an act of faith. And so for many people, the only thing they're certain of is God. And if that describes you, then wonderful. But beyond that, There's nothing in this world that we can be 100% certain of. Everything is a matter of our perspective, and we can have that perspective shared by a great number of people to the point where we are able to interact with these parts of our existence in the same way, knowing that there will be consistency to this interaction. It's always going to work the same way. And so we can have a great amount of trust that our judgments are correct In that situation, relative to that object or event. And if we don't know we are right about the normal things in the world, then being consistently right about the moral character of a complete and total stranger who has never interacted with us is going to be suspect at best and a fairly dangerous game unless you've got some real solid proof of the negative consequences of those people's actions in the world. For example, with Elon Musk, you have some dangerous associations and some dangerous business relationships, and some of his businesses seem like they could produce terrible outcomes for humanity in the future. But that seems, at least from this perspective, knowing what we know right now, to be an entirely different ballpark than Bill Gates, who has spent all this time vaccinating the world. If our worst suspicions about Elon are true, then he is ramping up towards something terrible, but probably hasn't produced anything terrible yet. Although I suppose you have a vector on where those Tesla batteries come from, and I'm sure we'll see how that shakes out. But if our worst suspicions about Bill Gates are correct, then he has actually produced already disastrous consequences for humanity in the world. So we can be, at least I would think, a little more confident in thinking that Bill Gates, a stranger, is a horrible person than thinking Elon Musk, a stranger, is a horrible person. The strange thing is that just as we misjudge the evil of a stranger, we also misjudge the goodness and think all sorts of strangers are really good people, not knowing anything about them, who actually aren't at all. And that happens constantly with celebrities and other famous people. So we can't be 100% sure about anything in the world, and we definitely can't be 100% sure in our moral judgments about people. So that suggests that our best move, even morally speaking, is to attempt to remain agnostic in as many of these situations as we can. Let's not form a belief at all. Let's just be skeptical and watchful. Keep in mind what we know about these people, keep the activities of their life in proper context, and see what happens. When we're worried about an association, we can say that to other people and then learn more about that association and then determine whether or not it worries us. No one is above criticism, particularly if they're in a position of public trust and public power. But at some point, We have to understand that someone who's been very successful and linked to a lot of people and organizations, someone who might have lived a lot of places, someone who may be in politics or at a high level in business, 
They're going to have a lot of associations that we can point at and say, this is a bad association. This is a bad association. This is a bad association. And then we say, this person has a lot of bad associations. Therefore, we can't trust this person when that should be the natural state of things anyway. And because we can't trust this person, we should assume that everything this person is doing is automatically bad and trying to take advantage of us. And so our response is to say that this person is bad in all circumstances, no matter what they're doing, in an effort to make sure this person can't take advantage of us. And then rather than looking to thwart the way we are concerned someone might take advantage of us, we are instead looking to take down the person and their reputation and cause reputational harm to eliminate the possibility of that person doing it. And so with all that in mind, you look at the sound of freedom and the concerns that this is going to eventually lead to the microchipping of children so that children can be tracked. And we should realize that the solution to that is to make sure everyone knows why it's a bad idea to have children chipped and tracked no matter what. That is not the solution for anything. That is a message that we can deliver to people and convince them is true because it is true and everybody knows it. It speaks to a deep horror inside us, one that many people, maybe even most of the people in this world have felt in a very real way in the last few years. That is not going to be a hard argument to win. So that's the solution to the potential microchipping. It's not to assume that everyone associated with the sound of freedom is a bad person trying to psyop us and create societal evil by letting people know about the problem of the international sex slave trade that includes little children. So I know I've spent significant time on this over the past few days, but I think it's important because I think that this pattern repeats itself consistently in our community and it comes from a good place. People want to know what's up with the people who they're going to give their money to or place their trust in. But we also exist in a world right now where a whole lot of people are waking up from something really, really strange. There are a lot of people out there who are doing more to question their past associations than the people who are vetting them. And the truth is, there are a whole lot of people in this country who have made bad business deals or cheated on something or someone or had any number of events in their past that they regret. And we will be able to find those for just about anyone. And the truth is, Anyone else can probably find them about us, which is why assuming the worst about strangers is generally a bad idea. Making that judgment and then watching everything that happens in the real world through that lens is an even worse idea. And then the most important thing, as I mentioned yesterday, is that these are the cards on the table. We can't complain for new cards. We can't turn the table over and leave. This is the situation we find ourselves in and we have to deal with it. So the best way to deal with it in the long run is to be as thoughtful as we can be about it right now. So we've basically had three different reactions to this movie. People love it and think it's 
really great. Its message is really important and that people might connect to this and wake up to this deep, dark problem that is real in our world. Then we have the mainstream reaction that says this problem may exist, but it's not nearly as widespread as these crazy people think. All of the people associated with this movie are trying to lie to people and trick them. The subject matter of this movie is a product of dangerous conspiratorial thinking and disinformation, yet another massive problem in our society caused by the exact same people again. Why are these people always trying to ruin our lives by bringing up these facts about the world that yes, are facts, but just, you know, you don't have to make such a big deal out of them. You're going to ruin our lives like this. And that's basically where these people are at. That's really what they're saying. Hey, stop telling us about these bad things. We read an article a while back that says you're crazy and this isn't that big a deal and I'm not experiencing it. So it's not a big deal to me. Now shut up. Joy Reid is on. And then the third reaction was the blackpilled reaction where people are saying, yes, this is obviously a real thing in the world. It's an important thing, which is why there shouldn't be Hollywood movies out there exploiting this, running psyops on people, trying to demoralize them by showing them, look, here's how evil the world is. You can do absolutely nothing about it. So just leave civilization and focus only on yourself. There are too many associations we can find with this movie that suggest something negative, even though we can't substantiate that. And because there's nothing you can do about this, it's better not to give these people your money because they're not going to fix the problem either. And somehow that is not supposed to be demoralizing. But anyhow. To add to your ability to make this critical judgment, it was announced this morning that there would be a screening of Sound of Freedom at Bedminster, hosted by Donald Trump. He released a statement today. A picture was added of Donald Trump standing next to Eduardo Verastegui, one of the producers of the film and one of the actors in it. Trump is standing there as he often does with thumbs up and a big smile on his face. And Verastegui had his hands down by his sides with a fairly blank look on his face. Make of that what you will. The statement from Trump reads, President Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States of America, will host a screening of the film Sound of Freedom at Trump National Golf Club Bedminster on July 19th, 2023. The screening will be attended by club members and supporters. Sound of Freedom grossed $41.7 million in the first week of its release and opened at number one in Texas, Florida, and Arizona theaters. The feature has taken the nation by storm, beating out Disney's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny in July 4th movie ticket sales, despite appearing in far fewer theaters, securing the top position in the box office for the day. The film, which is being distributed by Angel Studios, was produced by Mexican filmmaker Eduardo Verastegui and stars Jim Caviezel. Verastegui, who was previously appointed a member of President Trump's Advisory Commission on Hispanic Prosperity and who has continuously advocated for a strong and vital bilateral relationship between the U.S. and Mexico, 
emphasize the importance of coming together as a society to address this pernicious evil and eradicate child trafficking. The film is based on the true story of federal agent Tim Ballard's mission to save children from child sex traffickers in Colombia. Liberal media outlets like the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, and The Hollywood Reporter have refused to review the film, while publications like Rolling Stone, Washington Post, CNN, and The Guardian have trashed the film and mocked the millions of moviegoers who purchased tickets to screenings. In his first month in office, President Trump said he was, quote, prepared to bring the full force and weight of our government to end human trafficking and signed an executive order directing federal law enforcement to prioritize demolishing the criminal organizations behind forced labor, sex trafficking and child exploitation. President Trump's leadership resulted in a 14% increase in human trafficking convictions in 2017 over the prior year. In 2017, President Trump's director of national intelligence raised the issue of human trafficking to a top priority for America's intelligence agencies. In 2018, President Trump made history as the first president to participate in the president's interagency task force to monitor and combat trafficking in persons. As president, Donald J. Trump took historic steps to end human trafficking and protect the innocent. In January 2020, President Trump recognized the 20th anniversary of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act and signed an executive order on combating human trafficking and online child exploitation in the United States, creating the first ever White House position solely dedicated to combating human trafficking. In 2019, President Trump invited Tim Ballard to the White House to share his experiences and highlight the importance of President Trump's border wall. President Trump built over 450 miles of robust border wall and instituted strong immigration policies like Title 42 to thwart these horrific crimes from occurring across America's southern border. And Trump added on the tweet with the video of Tim Ballard speaking about the human trafficking problem at the border and talking about how in the areas of the border with President Trump's wall up, The human trafficking problem had been solved in those locations. It made traffickers more likely to attempt to make it through official checkpoints where many of them were caught. It also notes that President Trump will be joined at the screening by Eduardo Verastegui, Jim Caviezel and Tim Ballard. So how does that change your judgment? President Trump is helping to promote this film. He is hosting a private screening at Bedminster. He has a picture there from CPAC with Eduardo Verastegui. He is smiling and giving a thumbs up and Verastegui's hands are down to his side with a blank look on his face. That is the communication from Trump about this movie. He describes what the movie is about. He says a bunch of nice things about Verastegui and Ballard. He includes Ballard's statements from that meeting. And he goes after the media and how shameful they've been in their coverage of this film. But I think the most important part was him stating his record on human trafficking because his record stands alone. And what does that mean? What does it mean that that problem was not solved prior to Trump? It didn't just begin a few years before Trump got there and become so massive that Trump, with as much as he could do, couldn't solve it all the way. Now we've got Biden opening up our borders 
facilitating the trafficking of people and drugs and weapons and who knows what else. It turns out that once again, like on most other subjects, Donald Trump is the only person in a position of power who can legitimately be trusted to be working on the people's behalf relative to this issue. There is no one else out there. And so while Trump has that reputation and has that experience and that record to point to, he is also vouching for the film and the people surrounding the film. Now, again, maybe people have their doubts about President Trump. They're skeptical about President Trump and his motivations. And that's certainly okay. But whose word means more in this judgment? Donald Trump's word with his record and with his association with these very people? Or the word of people like Owen Benjamin and Ian Smith. And again, I don't fault them for being doubtful. But looking at it now, President Trump, with his record on the issue, his focus on the issue, his desire to make sure that issue is solved, he is going to bat for this movie. He's promoting it. He's hosting a screening. He's saying nice things about the people involved with it. Does that mean more than a couple of internet influencers who did some research and understand the context in which this is being released. I would suggest that Trump's word means a great deal more than either one of these guys. And again, maybe they're doing this with all the best of intentions and maybe just maybe they're even right, though I don't think so. I would imagine that almost everyone listening to this podcast had the same reaction that I had, which is immediately oh, this kind of actually gives me a reason to doubt Owen Benjamin and Ian Smith. Now, maybe they're just being edgy and contrarian, and I can appreciate all of that, of course. And maybe they do have legitimate and genuine concerns about these connections that they have made. But are we really going to pretend that they have some great insight to this issue or to the psychological effects of film that President Trump is unfamiliar with? Does he not understand the human trafficking problem well enough? Well, that's not possible. Does he not want to fix it as much as these guys? Well, that's not possible either. Does he not know about how they're going to go microchip kids? Well, nope. he would know about that and he would be sure that that would never happen on his watch. So who can more reliably and credibly weigh in on what Sound of Freedom actually is? Those guys or Donald Trump, I would suggest that it is President Donald J. Trump. And if you're like, yeah, but you would say that about anything. No, I wouldn't say it about anything. I would only say it about the issues directly related to the job President Donald J. Trump has been doing for these last eight years now. I would definitely, absolutely always side with Trump on those things. So if that's a thing for you, then holy smokes, you nailed me. So yesterday, FBI Director Chris Wray testified before the House Judiciary Committee, and there were questions all across the board. Washington Examiner has a good, quick write-up of some of the major issues covered. The headline there, Nine Takeaways from FBI Director Christopher Wray's Testimony. And I just want to mention some of these things quickly, not go through the entire thing. They noted Questions, particularly from Democrats, about the status of certain surveillance programs, specifically the status and use of the FISA process, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. 
That's what the FBI used in 2016 to surveil Donald Trump and his campaign. They conducted warrantless surveillance by going to FISA with requests based on the Clinton funded and totally false Steele dossier. And they were able to surveil the president's campaign. That obviously needs fixing. And a bunch of questions were about that. Chip Roy asked Christopher Ray about the status of FBI supervisory intelligence agent Brian Auten and how it is that he was cited for misconduct in the Russia investigation, but also permitted to do high level work on issues involving the Biden family. And you can find his name peppered throughout the Marco Polo report on the Biden laptop. Brian Auten, A-U-T-E-N. Ray, quote unquote, corrected the record on abortion violence. Democrats asked what the FBI was doing to protect abortion providers. The article refers to Democrat Representative Deborah Ross and says instead Ray corrected her, noting that the FBI has actually seen a significant uptick in violence against pro-life centers. Most of the investigations, he said, probably about 70% of them have involved attacks on crisis pregnancy centers, not abortion clinics. I'm going to just read this section because it's important. Social media censorship in the spotlight. Multiple Republicans focused their questioning on the FBI's relationship with social media platforms, which has recently been the focus of a court case. A judge ruled earlier this month that the Biden administration must cease communications with social media companies and said in an order that the federal government's efforts to get content removed from social media platforms may have constituted a significant violation of free speech rights. Ray denied that the Bureau had done anything wrong. The FBI is not in the business of moderating content or causing any social media company to suppress or censor content, Ray said. While acknowledging that the FBI did in some cases flag content it wanted removed to employees at social media companies, Ray argued that the efforts didn't constitute a free speech violation because social media companies could have chosen to disregard the FBI's requests. So that answer framed that way is clearly unsatisfactory. There obviously should not be requests for censorship to quote unquote private companies from the FBI or anyone else associated with government. He essentially avoided and refused to answer most questions about the Joe Biden investigation. He was very careful in his answers about FBI informants there on January 6th. The article also notes that while Ray defended many of the controversial moves the FBI has made under his leadership, he still offered some of his harshest public criticisms to date of things that the Bureau has done. I consider the conduct that was described in the Durham report as totally unacceptable, Ray said, going far further than the statement the FBI put out at the time Durham released his findings. And if you'll remember, we discussed that very brief statement on the show. They basically said, we're sorry about these problems, but we've put in all these solutions that are going to make sure everything is solved. Ray also distanced the FBI from a memo one of its field offices wrote about ways to infiltrate the traditional Catholic community in search of illegal activity. I was aghast and ordered it removed from FBI systems, he said of the memo. That product is not something I will defend or excuse. And that was just another of the instances we've seen 
of federal law enforcement targeting the perceived political opposition to the illegitimate regime in power. Now, the reaction to Ray's testimony in the last 24 hours has been almost exclusively negative from the Republican side. And not only from MAGA, not only from America First people who feel like they are the ones being targeted and are being targeted by federal agencies. There are all sorts of standard issue villagers out there who identify as Republicans or conservatives who are telling everyone that they understand Ray is bad. Now, whenever MAGA and standard issue villagers with little R's next to their name are aligned, you gotta worry about why that might be so and whether or not there's something we're missing. Because we know that standard issue villagers who identify as Republicans get all their information from the same places that standard issue villagers who identify as Democrats do. They get them from some version of the mainstream media, whether those are the big networks like CBS and ABC and NBC or the cable news channels like Fox and CNN and MSNBC, or if they're the external sort of mainstream networks like the Daily Wire or whatever that is on the uniparty left. Now, if we know they get their information and their opinions from those places, and we know all of those places disseminate the central narrative on behalf of the global regime, then we can assume that the global regime has some stake in this narrative of Ray bad, if for nothing else than providing credible controlled opposition for fans of the uniparty right, standard issue villagers who identify as Republicans. So the Democrats are saying that the FBI are the greatest people ever. All of the Republican complaints are totally unfounded. They're going to ask Christopher Wray questions that make him look good. They're going to ask Christopher Wray questions that make him look bad and make their priorities seem threatened by Christopher Wray so that they are even bigger victims than before. In fact, they're the real victims, not the people targeted by the FBI on quote unquote, the right. And then you end up with MAGA and standard issue villagers who identify as Republicans agreeing that Christopher Wray is very, very bad. Now, it's weird for MAGA and the mainstream right to align on something important because in a very critical way, we're in total opposition to that. Our interests should not align that often because beyond anything, they are part of the uniparty. They are the controlled opposition of the Democrats. And we find ourselves falling in line with the viewpoint of the controlled opposition of the Democrats, thus making ourselves part of the controlled opposition, bringing us under control to the extent that we prioritize our allyship with the uniparty right. We want to stay on their page because it increases our numbers. And we think that means we're more powerful that way. But that's actually false. We are most powerful when we are most committed to the right thing. Not when we compromise that thing for some pragmatic concern about needing allies on the uniparty right. We don't need those allies. They need us. But we're certain we must be right because the people representing the other view are the Democrats and those are the real enemies. But in the only way that matters, they are the uniparty left. They are not different than the uniparty right. They're part of the same thing. They exist in a state of controlled opposition. When we align with the uniparty right, 
it is possible that we are becoming part of the controlled opposition rather than them becoming part of MAGA. It's important to look at it both ways. Chris Ray is not necessarily a bad guy just because the uniparty right says that he is most of the time, nor because our real enemies on the uniparty left says that he's not most of the time. It seems like those alignments are good ways to judge our own viewpoint, our natural reaction to what we see with Ray, but it turns out they're not because they exist in a state of controlled opposition where both sides are trying to make sure that you remain attached to the official story within the central narrative. That's the goal. Neither side cares about whether or not you are properly discerning when it comes to Chris Ray. And so let's spend a second on this. Let's see what's up with Chris Ray, because maybe we can learn something about proper discernment when it comes to Chris Ray. There are all sorts of reasons to believe he's a bad guy, all sorts of associations, all sorts of connections, all sorts of actions in the world that we connect to Chris Ray. All of these things suggest that Chris Ray is very probably a bad guy. But do we know he is? Well, we can't be 100 percent certain about anything in the world, particularly not our moral judgments of the character of strangers. So we should remain agnostic to that value judgment until we can really defend our certainty. So let's check out a couple of clips because most of the reviews from MAGA and from the Uniparty right have been about how Chris Ray is lying. He's perjured himself. He needs to be impeached. He was obstinate and refusing to answer questions. And he was just sticking up for the FBI, an agency that we know beyond doubt is corrupt. But wait, do we know that? Or is what we know that there is a part of the FBI that is absolutely irredeemably corrupt? Because I would suggest to you that what we are pretty certain of is that that is true, not that the FBI as a whole is true. I look at everything, I've said this a million times, through the good twin, evil twin perspective. I most commonly talk about that as the dichotomy that exists in what are genuinely warring factions in the world right now. And I'm talking about the split between sovereign nations who prioritize sovereign individuals and this global communist order bent on world domination, figuring out which side of that divide any country or leader or entity or company, etc., is on is a pretty good indicator of whether or not they are ultimately on our team. If the net effects push towards sovereign individualism and the protection of sovereign nations, we can expect that those people will be reliably seeking the same goals that we are. And anyone bowing to the global regime is part of the problem. And relationships like that exist in all aspects of our lives. We also think about these dividing lines constantly, but usually we are convinced to focus on the wrong ones. Regardless Good twin, evil twin in everything. Everything is two things. The FBI is certainly two things. We hear often about how there are some really good agents, some very good people committed to serving the country. And every time we hear that, we think, well, that's not true because there are so many of the bad agents. And that means the whole agency is messed up. The rotten apple 
spoils the whole card. And it may be the case that every time we hear news about the FBI, it's always about their corruption and never about the good things they're doing. And this is not my defense of the FBI, by the way. I'm not defending the FBI. I'm just saying we have to be sure to always allow for the possibility that something is two things. In fact, we should expect that something is two things and try to understand both sides of that thing. So if everything is two things and Chris Ray is sticking up for the FBI, which part of the FBI is he sticking up for? Is he defending the good parts while criticizing the bad parts? Just from that Washington Examiner article, it shows that he is doing that. But it's also entirely reasonable to think that he is just covering his own ass while performing a limited hangout and allowing the agency to take some part of responsibility for the bad things they've done, knowing that no true accountability is coming. A totally reasonable assessment. It's just not the only reasonable assessment. And so if it happens that Ray is defending the good parts of the FBI in his answers, then it's also possible that he is allowing the good parts of the FBI to do their work properly and responsibly to achieve the accountability the American people are searching for by protecting them and their work in his answers. And it's quite frustrating to people to hear, as they've heard forever, that something cannot be discussed because it's part of an ongoing investigation, But if they do have ongoing investigations being led by the good parts of the FBI determined to bring accountability for the American people, and all of that would be thrown into chaos and disarray and probably be a lost venture if Ray were to divulge something that went beyond certain testimony in court cases or gave up important information relevant in those cases that the enemy side, the bad people might not know about yet, there are arguments that can be made for why Chris Ray is exactly right to avoid answering certain questions. And again, we don't know that the questioners are on our side, the people in that Congress. There's plenty of reason to suspect that each and every one of them are bad as well. Now, I wouldn't argue that all of them are bad, but how many are? 60 percent? 70%, 80, 90, it's not 20%. It's not 10%. It's not 1%. We know that those congressmen are corrupt. So then what we like is when the congressmen ask questions of someone like Ray, and they seem to be speaking from the perspective that we might share because we are mad at the FBI for this or that or something else. And so they ask this question seeming to reflect our views. And we naturally dig in to their side in defense of their perspective, knowing that Chris Ray is the bad guy. Now, if that congressman is someone that we can't ultimately trust, then that congressman is the one engaged in some element of limited hangout or on a fishing expedition to get Ray to divulge information that might compromise the efforts of the good people out there actually trying to fix things. So because of our own prejudices that we've dug into and doubled down on relative to Chris Ray, we might miss the entire tenor of the back and forth 
and end up supporting the wrong side, the side where if we were being careful and discerned what was going on, we'd actually reverse our support. Now, again, I'm not telling you how to think about Ray, and I'm not convinced on how I think about Ray. And I'm certainly not trying to besmirch the two congressmen in the clips I'm about to play. All I'm trying to say is the best way to approach this material, and it's a practice that you have to get into over and over again, is to attempt to strip away all those preconceived notions about who these people are and just listen to what's going on. Now, the first one here is Andy Biggs. Here, and and I, please don't don't distract here because we're focusing on the, those who were there in an undercover capacity on January 6th. How many were there? Uh, again, I, I'm not sure that I can give you that number as I sit here. I'm not sure there were undercover agents uh, on scene. You, I find that kind of a remarkable statement, Director. At this point, you don't know whether there were undercover federal agents, FBI agents, in the crowd or in the Capitol on January 6th. I say that because I want to be very careful. There have been a number of court filings related to some of these topics, and I want to make sure that I stick within what's in my... I, I understand that, but I, I just... I thought I heard you say you didn't know whether there were FBI agents or informants or human sources in the Capitol or in the vicinity on January 6th. Did I misunderstand you? I thought that's what you said. Well, I referred very specifically to undercover agents. Yeah. And so are you acknowledging then there were undercover agents? As I sit here right now, I do not believe there were undercover agents uh, on scene. Now, the Badlands guys had an interesting discussion on this on Devolution Power Hour last night. And Kyle, just human, is one of the people who has kept my mind open to the possibility that certain people like Christopher Ray or like Mike Pence might not be the bad guys we at various times might have thought they were. And I'm not 100% sure that he's right in every case, but I think there's definitely something to what he's saying, and I think it warrants us taking these kinds of comments seriously. Now, it's probably everybody's immediate reaction to hear that and be like, what? We know that place was crawling with federal agents and undercover agents and informants or confidential human sources. We know that all of that was there. There was FBI. There were other agencies. There were undercover police. We've seen the videos. We've heard the stories. We've heard the testimony. We know that that's not true. Except if you listen to it, if you really listen to it, listen to the words, there's kind of a back and forth going on there between him and Biggs. And I'm not sure that this was kayfabe, but I think most of us have a strong degree of trust for Andy Biggs. He seemed like a warrior on the front lines these past few years. He certainly got to the point where we might give him the benefit of the doubt, by and large, that he is fighting the good fight in all situations. And what he's doing here is essentially conflating all of those things that I just mentioned into the same thing, undercover FBI agents. That's what his question was about. He made his question specific and Ray answered it specifically and multiple times specified that that's what he was answering. Undercover FBI agents. Ray says he doesn't think there were undercover FBI agents. Does that mean that there weren't normal FBI agents who were not working undercover? No, that's not what he said. Normal FBI agents, not undercover. 
could have been there. That wasn't in the scope of the question, nor was it in the scope of Ray's answer. Could there have been confidential human sources, informants? Absolutely. But that wasn't in the scope of the question or the answer. Could there have been undercover agents from other agencies? Yeah, there could have been. But that wasn't in the scope of the question and that wasn't in the scope of Ray's answer. Christopher Ray is there to give truthful testimony that will go on the congressional record and subject him potentially to future claims of perjury. Andy Biggs comments will go on the congressional record as well. These people need to be accurate in their language. We would all love it if each one of them went in there and just sounded like I sound on my podcast and just lit into these people because people like Chris Ray feel like the enemy and we want everyone to light him up at every possible opportunity. We want the entire country to know what we know, but that's not how these things work and that's not how these things are supposed to work. He is supposed to go in there and testify for the congressional record and tell the truth. And to the extent that he's hiding anything, if him doing otherwise would compromise cases and the chance for accountability down the road, then we don't want him doing that. Now, that clip is being covered as one of Chris Ray's dirty lies in his congressional testimony. But was it? I would say no, it wasn't. And again, I'm not trying to defend Chris Ray or the FBI. I know a lot of my very smart friends think that Chris Ray is going to be proven to be a good guy. I'm not sure that's so because I have a different way that I look at these things and a way I think that things are possibly going to wind up, but they might be totally right. And in the instance where they are, I'll have wanted to know that before and not be surprised about it at some point of great revelation. And that means that if I don't consider that they might be right right now and just think that I'm right in thinking that Chris Ray is the enemy, then there's a good chance I'm going to make the wrong call a whole lot because my judgment of Chris Ray is going to become a foundational misunderstanding and it's going to make it really difficult for me to make proper judgments with that as a foundational misunderstanding. If I simply refuse to view that testimony through the lens of Chris Ray being a bad guy, the problem immediately goes away and I'm able to look at that situation as objectively as I can. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to eliminate all my biases in every situation. I'm just saying my character judgments of a stranger should not be the sort of thing that I stick to so faithfully that it's going to misguide all my other judgments. Now, here's another very interesting clip. Did Joe Biden take uh, payments from Burisma or any other foreign companies as vice president, president, or private citizen Biden? Uh, As you may know, there is an ongoing investigation being led by the U.S. attorney in Delaware, Mr. Weiss, appointed uh, by President Trump in the last administration, that our Baltimore field office is working with, and I would refer you to to him as to what, if anything, can be shared. So the president is under um, he is under um, investigation. I'm not going to confirm or speak to who is or isn't under investigation for what. I'm simply going so to. So he's tell not you, under investigation. I didn't say that either. Uh, by longstanding department policy and practice, I'm I'll, not going to be confirming or denying I'll who is it. or isn't under investigation. 
So does that sound like Joe Biden is or is not under investigation? I would suggest it sounds like he is under investigation. And if he is under investigation, then Chris Ray should not be answering questions about that investigation if we want the investigation to actually go well. Now, that is very, very frustrating for people because people want the answers. They want the public disclosure so the public will know and everyone will stop telling them that they are liars and conspiracy theorists and dumb and clueless. I get it. You want that satisfaction. You want everybody to know what you know, because once they know what you know, then they'll be like, oh, yeah, that person was right. And that feels good. It takes away a lot of the stress of the situation, knowing that other people out there understand what grave circumstances we're in. I get it. But that doesn't actually fix anything. And let's compare the two situations we have. We have Donald Trump being investigated. The Mar-a-Lago raid. Joe Biden doesn't get raided. We have leak after leak and rumor after rumor about all these bad things Donald Trump did. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is protected while he's doing all of the things that are actually the bad things they're accusing Trump of. Then we have Trump indicted by this lunatic, Jack Smith. And Jack Smith talks in his indictment about this recording of an interview with Trump where he is just waving classified documents around, being all nonchalant with our national security secrets. And then that recording comes out and everybody realizes almost immediately, hey, that recording that they made so much of, that's kind of a joke. And the whole case is kind of a joke. Espionage Act? What? Those documents were declassified and Donald Trump kept them as presidential records, which he had every right to do. There's no crime there. He wasn't selling our secrets to the Russians. He was waving around a magazine article in front of reporters. How can it be that we are the ones being accused of supporting a criminal while the actual criminal is the other guy and the people supporting that criminal are the ones accusing us. It's all so unfair. It's all so unjust. When will this accursed period ever end? And the truth is, eh, probably in the next couple of years, you know, and then some version of it just goes on forever. And such are the mysteries of life. But it feels totally unfair that one person is being treated one way. One person is being treated the other way. Well, we should Learn that feeling really well, because part of this period is to make sure that we know that feeling really, really well. And we don't allow that to be what our country just is now for the foreseeable future or maybe forever. We don't want that. It's unfair. This is quite obviously a two tiered system of justice. Well, in this case, we might not be seeing the bad side of the two tiered system of justice. We might be seeing what happens when people are being responsible versus irresponsible about trying to achieve accountability for real crimes. I don't think there's anyone out there making the argument right now that the Jack Smith case is going to take down Donald Trump. They did it for a couple of weeks, but everybody kind of got over it. And now nobody acts like that's really going to happen. We discussed some of the latest Rasmussen numbers yesterday. Americans are probably at their highest point of distrust for these corrupt institutions. 
that they've ever been. And a big part of that is this clear, obvious story about the two-tiered system of justice. But if everything is two things and Ray is only defending the sanctity of this investigation and protecting the good guys at the FBI trying to get this work done rather than the opposite take, then he's doing what we want him to be doing, despite the fact that it is totally unsatisfying for us. It actually does matter what the reality is. It's not just about our feelings, especially not feelings that are all produced through the lens of our character judgments on a complete and total stranger. Now, pair that with this reaction from Daryl Issa. Daryl Issa has been in Congress for a pretty long time. You can probably find tons of bad associations with Daryl Issa. I don't know where I come down on Daryl Issa. If I had to guess, I would say he's part of the Uniparty, as we discussed before, part of that controlled opposition. But let's hear what he has to say and think about whether it makes sense with this other potential version of Chris Ray, and if it doesn't, what it makes us think of Daryl Issa. I was shocked. I was shocked that the director, in light of, of outside reports and IG reports, would continue denying, stifling free speech of Americans. I was also shocked that with, he would not admit or deny uh, whether he had individuals working for him that entered the Capitol on January 6th. It was a straightforward question. I didn't ask for names. I asked simply, were there one or more? And he wouldn't answer. And I think that's very telling to the American people. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, is that very telling? What does it very tell us? It doesn't really tell us anything. It tells us that there are a number of potential conclusions we can draw. We cannot be certain about any of those conclusions. So we should think about it, not react emotionally, not look at this through the lens of a character judgment of a stranger, and then ultimately just keep it in the back of our head as a little puzzle piece figure out where that puzzle piece maps onto reality. We don't have to decide what everything is all the time. We can just simply notice things. Oh, that's there now. Chris Ray kind of admitted that Joe Biden himself is under investigation. That's an enormous piece of news. Where is that in the mainstream media? It was covered here and there, but even DC Drano tweeted out yesterday. FBI Director Ray confirms Joe Biden is under criminal investigation for Ukrainian bribes by the U.S. attorney in Delaware, then tries to backpedal after realizing what he disclosed. How is this not front page news? And that's an interesting question. Well, it's because the media doesn't want to focus on that. They know that standard issue villagers are not watching congressional hearings so they can grab some big headlines, try to score points for the regime and then otherwise ignore it. They don't need to print headlines about how Joe Biden is under investigation and the FBI director just kind of admitted it. And if they're avoiding reporting something that Christopher Ray said because it's so bad for the regime, what does it mean about the things that Christopher Ray is saying? And also, what does it mean about the Bidens in Ukraine? Now, speaking of the FBI and Ukraine, there was this headline on Monday at Just the News. FBI worked to censor Americans for Russian infiltrated Ukrainian intelligence. The FBI pressured social media companies to crack down on the spread of so-called Russian disinformation. 
on behalf of the Ukrainian Security Service, SBU, according to a report from the House Weaponization Panel. But evidence suggests that the Russians had infiltrated the group and used the censorship pipeline to suppress anti-Putin and pro-Ukrainian materials. So that's got a little bit of a weird back and forth to it. Russians infiltrated the Ukrainian intelligence service. That's what we're being told. The Ukrainian intelligence service then contacted the FBI to make requests of social media companies for takedowns of certain material, except the story goes that the material they were requesting takedowns for was actually anti-Putin pro-Ukrainian material. So it was all a big trick by the Russians to get the FBI to ask for censorship of pro-Ukrainian information. Now, unwinding that will be a mission on its own, but it's worth asking whether or not any sort of pro-Ukrainian information op would have been worth these sorts of takedown requests and whether or not that could have ever been justified. And there are plenty of pro-Ukrainian internet info ops out there, including and especially the whole NAFO thing. So you have to wonder if all of that could be tied up with certain adversarial foreign elements who maybe are worth a look into by a good FBI. Now, that is only speculation. I don't know that. I think it's always best to err with never, ever censoring for any reason and let people sort it out as they will. But regardless, it is a very strange situation. And knowing that the FBI and the SBU had this link with the FBI working as a middleman between Ukrainian intelligence and the social media companies is obviously a problem. Following Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, the Security Service of Ukraine, the SBU, sought to identify and impair suspected Russian influence operations on social media, reads the report. The SBU enlisted the FBI in support of this effort, transmitting to the FBI lists of social media accounts that allegedly spread Russian disinformation. The FBI, in turn, routinely relayed these lists to the relevant social media platforms, which distributed the information internally to their employees in charge of content moderation and enforcement. Such an operation, the committee found, appeared to result in the targeting of a curious selection of content, much of which seemed unlike what one would presume to constitute Russian disinformation. The committee's analysis of these disinformation registries revealed that the FBI, at the request of the SBU, flagged for social media companies the authentic accounts of Americans, including a verified U.S. State Department account and those belonging to American journalists, it reads. The FBI and SBU repeatedly requested the removal or suspension of authentic accounts expressing unambiguously pro-Ukrainian views, as well as those voicing opposition to Russian President Vladimir Putin. So another example of the scale, the expansiveness of the censorship regime and how it was used. This is a particularly weird example, but it seems to be, at least at face value, an example of the global deep state at work. And here's another. Yesterday, Elon Musk responded to this post from Twitter Daily News, which is at Titter Daily. Elon had joked about how Twitter would be called Titter. Take the W right out. 
Twitter has filed a lawsuit against four entities located in Dallas, Texas, accusing them of scraping large amounts of data. These requests have severely burdened X Corp servers and degraded the user experience for millions of X Corp's customers, the lawsuit says. Elon Musk replied, saying, Several entities tried to scrape every tweet ever made in a short period of time. That's why we had to put rate limits in place. And you'll remember that I discussed this last Monday. MJ Truth had an interesting post on Telegram. He wrote, So it turns out that while everyone was freaking out about the tweet rate limits two weeks ago, there was a very big reason for this some of which we are finding out, but it also opens the door to new questions. A new lawsuit has surfaced from X Corp, which owns Twitter. They're suing four John Doe individuals or entities in what appears to be a very large and coordinated data scraping operation on Twitter and its users. The interesting part about this lawsuit is that they state the claims against defendants were filed in Dallas County because they allegedly committed acts with entities that maintain data processing facilities in Dallas County, Texas, including on information and belief, unlawfully scraping data associated with Texas residents. X Corp is seeking monetary relief of more than $1 million. Twitter was not able to identify who or what entity was doing this, but identified four IP addresses. Now, if you think about all of the social media, all of those various data sources, all pumping every bit of data and information into one common system where an algorithm and AI would analyze all of this information and then repurpose it to manipulate the people who are, in fact, feeding it the information. We have this system. Information goes in, information goes out. And it's an exchange between that system and the people, the collective mind of the people, the cognitive infrastructure. We have all this information being fed into the same place. And then something changes last year. And people know my views about Twitter and Elon's relationship with them, Twitter's relationship with the government. I think all of these things have been the same thing throughout. And Elon is just the face of Twitter as a government contract. But regardless of that, if you believe the common view that exists in the mainstream that Elon Musk simply bought the greatest information weapon in the history of the world for $44 billion from people who don't need $44 billion, well, okay, then something changed last year and Twitter is no longer a part of that system. And because that threatens the cognitive infrastructure, because the cognitive infrastructure is breaking down, they try to fix and replace it. And last week, Meta released Threads. Threads is the Facebook version of Twitter. That's what they want it to be. Except, of course, they are only pushing their narrative forward. The celebrities and influencers right at the front all of them repeating the slogans and keeping people attached to the central narrative. But in order to properly feed that system, they need all the stuff that's on Twitter. They need to be able to scrape everything that's on Twitter because Twitter is one of the important inputs into their system. They can't have the system the way they want it without Twitter. And so if you think about this in stages, what they lost initially was the ability to influence the information Twitter was disseminating. 
They had their control over the feed eliminated, but they could still scrape all the data. And so they could still use all that data as input. They just don't have as much influence on the output at that point. Well, now they can't scrape the data and they just had their new system set up. Their new fully controlled output structure was back in place and they were just taking the input from all that scraped Twitter data and feeding it into this other system where it could be fed out in the ways that they like through threads and the other platforms that remain under their control. Well, now they just got their system of input from Twitter taken away and removed from their control. It sounds like Elon's people probably tracked every single bit of that, which is why it's already in this lawsuit. As I stated last Monday, my only reaction to the situation aligned with one of Mike Benz's professionally informed potential explanations. And that take seems to track exactly with this emergent reality. Elon Musk was not trying to make it so that color revolutionaries in France trying to destabilize the country on behalf of the global regime were not able to communicate. That's what we were told Elon was doing. Big bad Elon was making it impossible for these very peaceful protesters in France to communicate. Except they weren't peaceful protesters and they didn't have a just cause and they were committing violence and they were destroying and looting stores and they were burning down the city. And it seems like Elon's move has absolutely nothing to do with the French riots, the color revolution whatsoever. And so the people who want to go after Elon in every situation or support the global regime in every situation or for the people who think that Elon is bad from all of his associations probably made the wrong judgment in that situation. Now, am I 100 percent sure I'm right? No, I'm not. But I think the scales are tipped pretty far in my direction. And so I'm going to go ahead and stick with my position while those people either realize they were wrong or doubled down in their wrong position. Or, hey, who knows? Maybe I'll just be blindsided by the whole thing. But have a listen to this clip. This is Elon Musk on Twitter spaces yesterday discussing his relationship with China. Me on the China front, I, you know, I'm kind of pro China and, and I know this makes it sound like, well, do you have all these vested interests in China? I'm like, I have some vested interests in China, but, but honestly, I, I think China's underrated. I think the people of China are really awesome. <laughs> so, and there's, there's a lot of positive energy there. And, and, and I think they, they kind of want the same things that people in America do. And that's, that's not to say that, that there's, there, there aren't some very significant disagreements and there's, there's obviously going to be, you know, a, a significant uh, challenge with on the time. Taiwan question, like a very significant challenge. I, I mean, I do, I do have this, this theory about prediction, which is that the uh, most entertaining outcome as seen by a third party, not the participants, is the most likely. That's, that's really, like, not necessarily the best thing for those involved in it. Like, you could be watching a World War I movie while people are getting blood pieces, while 
sipping a soda and, and eating popcorn. Not so great for those in the movie, but it is entertaining, which which does just suggest uh, there's um, things are gonna probably gonna get hot in the, in the Pacific. So uh, hopefully not too hot, but it's, uh, it's things are gonna get hot, and uh, ho- hopefully we, we can get <laughs> we can get past that and 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 get to uh, a positive situation for uh, for the world. Uh, aspirationally, we're, we're all on Team Humanity. It's gonna get spicy. You know, most concerning thing is is probably the Taiwan question over the next three years, and then in the probably three years after that is is the I, like I would be surprised if we do if if we do, if there is not digital superintelligence in roughly the five or six year time frame. If this is a, a Netflix series or something, uh, I'd say the 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 season finale would be a showdown w- w- between the the, w- the Western China and the the series finale will be <laughs> AGI. So think about what he just said in China. He has some vested interest there. There's no doubt everyone in a position of considerable influence at an international level has some vested interests in China and some vested interest in the outcome of what happens in China. He says he has a lot of respect for the Chinese people, the Lao Beijing, and that's a good thing. He should have respect for the American people and the Russian people and the South African people, the people of all the countries. The Chinese people certainly aren't our problem. There are 1.4 billion Chinese, and I think it's something like 90 million in the Chinese Communist Party. So I would think that that sounds potentially like 1.3 billion allies and 90 million enemies who those allies can successfully stomp. But the future of China is important, and there are some issues to worry about, including that Taiwan issue. Now, if you're looking at all of this, believing that Elon Musk is evil and that China is evil, then we have some really difficult foundational misunderstandings here that are going to guide us toward obviously wrong outcomes and hamper our ability to properly discern what's happening here. Is the CCP bad? Yes. But China was also a one party state and still to a large extent is. So therefore, Every politician will at some point have been part of the CCP and have supported the CCP. What happens when America fully understands what the uniparty is? Does that mean that every politician ever in office throughout the existence of the uniparty was part of the uniparty or an enemy? Maybe it does, but I don't think it necessarily does. So should we assume that every CCP politician in China is necessarily an enemy? They probably are, depending on their role in the CCP and what they were doing and what they're directly responsible for. Donald Trump was the president of the United States of America while the Uniparty existed in America. Was he therefore the president of the Uniparty and therefore part of the Uniparty? And if the answer is not absolutely yes, then you should extend the same thing to leaders of other countries, which means that we can't think that Xi Jinping is necessarily responsible for all the historical evils of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, I'm not saying he's a good guy. I certainly don't know. I'm just saying it's possible that there's something else going on there. And it's worth considering that something is because we have been told for decades how evil Russia is, how evil Vladimir Putin is. And Vladimir Putin doesn't seem to be on the side of evil in the Russia-Ukraine situation. And if you haven't reached that conclusion now after a year and a half of watching it, I honestly don't know what to tell you. 
If you think that's not going to be repeated with China and Taiwan, I don't know what to tell you about that either. I said before the Ukraine thing started that China-Taiwan was going to be the second chapter of that. That was pretty early on in that process to make a call like that. But that analysis still tracks. I could end up being right about that. And if I am, then that's a rather critical perspective to have when we are looking at China and Taiwan and we begin to hear American politicians and American corporate interests and American citizens start supporting an American military effort in Taiwan against China to maintain the independence of Taiwan, even though our policy is a one China policy that says already Taiwan is part of China. Seeing China as purely evil does not help us navigate this situation. Neither does seeing Xi Jinping as purely evil. And if we can get to the point where we admit that they might not be purely evil, then thinking that Elon Musk, through having vested interests in China, is proving his own pure evil, well, we're getting awfully far afield. That analysis is not going to help inform our better judgments in the future whatsoever. That's not going to help us discern anything. All we'd be doing is mixing up a series of totally inconsistent and totally unsupportable takes from the mainstream media. We would just be picking and choosing which things support our view of China as evil and our view of Xi as evil and our view of Elon as evil. And that gets us nowhere other than to the point where we are confirming our bias and our character judgment about a complete and total stranger. That does not make any sense. And we are bound to wind up making bad judgments. Maybe it won't be on this issue. Maybe your judgment is correct on this issue. But thinking that way is going to lead to bad outcomes in the future on a regular basis, probably the majority of times, if not every time. And the truth is that there are downsides to that kind of thinking and making these sorts of value judgments in the wrong ways. Owen Benjamin and Ian Smith seemed for a day or two like they had uncovered these important revelations about Sound of Freedom, and they were alerting everybody. Not only are they the most careful and the smartest to have gotten all this information, but they're good and strong enough to go out and tell people all of this information, even knowing that they were going to run into some emotional resistance from people. And hey, to the extent they were doing it in good faith, that's a good thing. Now, over this time, Trump remains almost entirely silent about the entire situation. He posted one post on Truth Social saying that his friend Ben Carson recommends that people go see that movie. That's nothing too strong. Trump didn't go all in immediately for Sound of Freedom. And that's a good thing, because if he had, then Sound of Freedom, the movie would have become all about Donald Trump immediately. That would have been the story. It wouldn't have been these crazy articles about how it's QAnon adjacent. It would have been Trump supported movie about child traffickers is completely misinformation. And if you hate Trump, definitely don't go see this movie. And Trump, of course, knew that anybody could predict that outcome. So Trump stayed quiet. He stayed out of it. He didn't make the movie a situation about him. 
And so people who were interested in taking down the movie had to talk about something else. People who wanted to sound smart and edgy had to talk about something else. And again, I'm not saying that these guys weren't operating in good faith with their interpretations. But then Trump comes out and endorses the thing fully and hosts a screening at Bedminster. And now you've only got to wonder about all the people who were out there spreading the counter narrative viewpoint. And again, not mad about the counter narrative viewpoint. I think it has its own sort of value. But the conclusions they drew do not seem to be the right ones. And what they ended up doing was casting a ton of doubt on something that seems to be largely a good thing. And regardless, the cards are on the table. This is a real situation that exists. So it's up to us to make the best of it. That's why our discernment matters so very much. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!